This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Father, we come to you now in the wonderful name of your son, Jesus. Lord, we ask you now to open our eyes that we see, Lord, the truth about the days that we're heading into on earth and the better days that we're heading into in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Matthew 24, verse 21. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should be no flesh saved for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Then if any man shall say unto you, lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. But I've told you before, wherefore if they shall say unto you, behold, he's in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he's in the secret places, believe it not. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Now learn a parable of fig tree. When his branch is yet tender, putteth forth leaves, you know that summer's nigh. So likewise ye, when you shall see these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. But of that day and hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. 
Okay, now this long section here, these chapters 24 and 25, all came about as the disciples privately asked just really two simple questions. It wasn't complicated. And it was really the questions of when the end of the world's gonna come and what's the signs gonna be before the end of the world? And they asked just two words, when and what? They had no idea that they were opening up Pandora's box here. And they'd be, But before getting into any of the when and the what was gonna come in the last days, they were told that they were gonna be in serious danger of being deceived themselves. And they needed to be on their guards for false teacher. Now the Lord had already spoken to them about wars and famines and pestilences and earthquakes, and, and but he called this in verse eight, he called this just the beginning of sorrows, the beginning. And then he spoke about the baseless hatred that would be focused on believers in Christ because there's a baseless hatred of Jesus Christ. I can't get over this, but you know, one of the basic laws of the state of Israel is the law of return, which was enacted by Ben-Gurion very, very soon after the state of the Israel was formed. Israel was formed because of the Jews needed a homeland, because all they had was ovens of Jewish ashes in Germany, so they needed a homeland. So the law of return was enacted that any Jew from anywhere could immediately become an Israeli citizen. Well. I'm the son of two Jewish parents. I'm the grandson of a Lithuanian rabbi who escaped the persecution from the Russians and the pogroms. And I had, in my process for becoming a citizen of Israel, had two rabbis to testify to the fact that I was Jewish. Yet when I was interviewed by the Jewish agency in Jerusalem, they just asked me one question. You believe that Jesus is God or the Son of God? Simply because I believe in Jesus, they said, you're denied Israeli citizenship. That's how deep the hatred is of Jesus Christ in the state of Israel, because Jesus said in Matthew 10, 22, Matthew 10, 22, he said, you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. In Luke 6, 22, he said, blessed are ye when men shall hate you and when they shall separate you from their company and shall reproach you and cast out your name as evil for the son of man's sake. Rejoice ye in that day and leap for joy. I haven't come to that yet, but I will. Behold, your reward is great in heaven and in the like manner did they to the fathers unto the prophets. So when men shall separate you from their company, as in saying you are separated from Jews because you're no longer a Jew because you believe in Jesus. Now, Christ also claimed that as the end came that there would be this great widespread breakdown in laws. He's spoken that while all this is going on, these horrible events are going on, there's going to be this renewed effort or outreach of the gospel all to the far ends of the world. And he spoke especially in this passage here about the suddenness of his return and the need to be ready and not to have any attachments to the world that would hinder a person. He talked about remembering Lot's wife because what he's really describing here with his return are two words, surprise and separation. Surprise and separation. And now after all that, he says that there's going to be a what he calls a great tribulation in verse 21. Verse 21 and verse 22. Verse 21 and verse 22, he says, there shall be great tribulation, and he says, 
No one's ever seen this before and it will never be seen again. And then he said that the days would actually be shortened by God for the who he called the elect's sake. He said, now, the immediate fulfillment, as very, very common in prophecy, is that prophecy has an immediate fulfillment and then an ultimate fulfillment. And furthermore, in, it's very common in prophecy to speak about things as happening immediately when they really don't happen immediately. For example, in Jude, Jude spoke about the Lord is returning now with 10,000s of his saints. That was thousands of years ago that he said that, but never mind because a day with the Lord is as a thousand years. But the immediate fulfillment of this prophecy came with the Roman siege of Jerusalem in 70 AD under Titus. Now, for us, it just sounds like, oh yeah, the Romans came in, they destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD, but we really don't have as vivid a picture of what that massacre was like because we, didn't, we don't have Steven, Steven Spielberg to make a movie about it. But instead of Steven Spielberg, we have Josephus. Josephus who wrote this book called The History of the Wars of the Jews. And in that book, he describes what the Romans did in Jerusalem. He describes that the Romans were very cruel, but he says that there was no cruelty shown to any of the other cities that they conquered like there was to Jerusalem. He estimates, Josephus estimates, that the Romans killed two million Jews. That's a greater percentage of the Jews that were killed than Hitler killed in the Holocaust when you consider the number of Jews that were living at that time. He says the Jews were killed and their bodies were hung up on chains so that birds came. Christ said, where the carcasses, the eagles will be gathered in this passage. The eagle was the symbol of the Roman military, was the eagle. It was a great judgment that fell on the Jewish people because it was a great sin that they had committed when they turned over their Messiah, their God, to the Romans to be crucified. Because of all the people of the earth, God got very close to the Jewish people. And because God was so close to the Jewish people, their judgment was so great. The principle is that the closer that a person is to God, the greater will be that person's judgment if they turn away from God. This principle is stated in Amos 3.2. Amos 3.2, which says, where God said to the Jewish people, God said, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Now, the description here that's given of the, ultimately, of the return of Christ is a picture of utter chaos. It just looks like utter chaos. People are in a state of being totally out of control. You know, it reminds us of the race riots. Reminds us of what we saw in Portland and other cities where people were running crazy. They were breaking windows, they were looting stores, they were burning cars, they were shooting police with no restraints at all. And that seems to be just a little picture of what Christ is describing here in the last days. It all seems to be so out of control. And then Christ spoke about this in verse 22 where he says, except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, 
those days shall be shortened. So God cuts those days short, and he does that because if he didn't do that, he says, no flesh would be saved. Now, he says, no flesh would be saved. He didn't say no soul would be saved, but no flesh would be saved. So in the middle of this anarchy, there's a comfort here. And the comfort here is that Christ's grip is firm in John 10, 28. John 10, 28. I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. So what he's describing here is that on the believer are two hands. There's the hand of Christ, and there's the hand of God the Father. And he's saying no disaster even this great tribulation is able to wrench the believers out of the two hands. The two grips are stronger than this great tribulation. And so he's really describing here that this great tribulation is being monitored very carefully by God, and it's allowed to go so far to the point where of destroying those that Christ calls the elect, and then the tribulation stops. Now, when Christ uses the term elect, he meant those who were saved and those who would be saved as the elect is described in 1 Peter 1.2. 1 Peter 1.2 where he says, you are elect according to the foreknowledge of God. That means that God the Father, foreknowledge of God the Father in 1 Peter 1.2, that means that God the Father looked down the tunnel of time and had what the Bible calls the foreknowledge of God the Father, that he could see who was going to come to Christ and those he calls the elect. But the choice to come to Christ and be saved is 100% up to the individual person. God does not choose who will be saved. Man makes that choice. God knows in advance who's gonna make that choice. Man chooses Christ. God then, in response to that choice, elects that person to be saved. It all starts with man. It does not start with God contrary to Calvinism. And the days of this tribulation are cut short so that those who will come to Christ will live to be able to come to Christ. Now, Christ warns that deceivers would have great power. They would show great signs, they would show wonders, and it's these great signs and wonders that they have the power to do that are the tools that they're going to use to get the people to believe a lie. In verse 24, he says the false Christs are gonna come, false prophets are gonna come. They're gonna show great signs and wonders in so much that if it was possible, they would deceive the very elect. But when Christ does return, he said there'd be a lightning flash, a lightning flash that's gonna be seen around the world in verse 27, verse 27. As the lightning cometh out of the east, and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So this flash of lightning, lightning is very scary. It's very frightening. Last night in Loretto, I wish I could show you the picture of this, there was a lightning storm, and my friend took a picture, because I had left in the morning, but. It was a huge bolt of lightning that he got a picture of that was just behind Coronado Island and it, with several veins going out. And it's scary. It's scary. And a flash of lightning puts everyone scared. And it makes people alert because they know that 
the thunder is going to be heard. And lightning is like an announcement that the thunder is soon on the heels. It's going to, it builds an anticipation. And that's what this worldwide lightning is going to do. It's going to make people stop from whatever they're doing and make everyone expect the next event, which is the thunder, the class of the crash. And only when Christ comes, it's not going to be a thunder, a literal thunder, but it's going to be the thunder of his return. And so after this tribulation, there's going to be great changes that he's describing. And one of them, he says, is the sun. The sun is going to be darkened. The sun, which is the source of all light, and since the moon has no light of, of herself, the moon merely reflects borrowed light from the sun, so the moon stops to reflect sun, uh, light. I mean, we can't imagine a world with no sun. The sun is just something that everybody takes for granted. You just take it for granted. It reminds me of the time when I was working at the VA hospital, and I started to work there in 1974, and uh, the hospital was, it was about two years old, and as you would expect from any government construction job, it was not finished. And so, um, anyway, there'd been, a, there'd been a very large earthquake, you may remember, in Silma, California, that actually destroyed the VA hospital up there. And so, you know, patients were transferred down to uh, La Jolla. And, uh, and I worked in the endocrinology department on the top floor, which was the research floor. And there was one afternoon I was working up there and there was an earthquake. There was an earthquake that shook the building. Now we were all told that the, the government had built this to earthquake standards, so we had no fear. <laughs> but when this earthquake came and the building shook, I was so shocked to hear people actually scream in terror. They screamed out in terror. And the reason they, and I started thinking about why were they screaming? And the reason they were screaming is because there are just some things in life that we rely on as unchangeable. And we never think of the possibility that those things might change. And one of those things is a stable ground. I mean, we rely on the fact that the ground doesn't move. That's kind of like a given, you know, it's, it's terra firma. And when the ground moves, that can be very disturbing and it causes people to just scream. Another thing that we rely on is the sun, the sun shining. And if the sun should stop shining, it'd, disturb, it'd be disturbing to the core and people would just scream. And this is what Christ is referring to in verse 29, verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven. So this is one of these great changes. And David spoke about these great changes in Psalm 102, verse 25. Psalm 102, 25, when he said, of old thou hast laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou shall endure. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment, and as a vesture shalt thou change them, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall have no end. So God laid the foundations of the heavens and the earth, and we look at them and we say, the sun is never gonna stop shining. The sun is gonna, the stars, they're always gonna be up there. The moon will always give us light. But God says, no, that's not right. All of those things are gonna perish. They're all gonna be like clothing that's been worn out for a long time, and it just, it's gonna be changed. The sun, the moon, the stars to something new. Now that's very disturbing, very disturbing. And God says there's one thing that will never change, 
It will always be the same. And David said in Psalm 102, 27, Psalm 102, 27, he said, thou art the same, and thy year shall have no end. Same just like it says in Hebrews 13, 8. Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Just like the hymn, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground, sinking sand. All other ground, sinking sand. His oath, his covenant, his blood. Support me in the whelming flood. When all around I, my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. So, the lightning flashes across the earth, across the world, the sun stops to shine, the thunder rolls, the thunder is, verse 30, verse 30, then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So we can assume that the light that replaces the sun now comes from Christ, from his body, says in Isaiah 60, verse 19, Isaiah 60, verse 19, the sun shall be no more thy light by day, neither for brightness shall the moon give light unto thee, but the Lord shall be unto thee an everlasting light and thy God thy glory. Thy sun shall no more go down, neither shall thy moon withdraw itself, for the Lord shall be thine everlasting light and the days of thy morning shall be ended. What that just said in Psalm 60 verse 19 was, the sun shall be no more. The sun's gonna stop shining for the first time since God created. God created the sun in Genesis 1.15, Genesis 1.15 where he said, and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth, and it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night, he made the stars also, and God sent them in the firmament of heaven to give light upon the earth. And man that was born has looked at that sun and that stars and that moon and said, they're always been there. And man today says, for billions of years, they've always been there, for billions of years, they just came, they enabled evolution through a series of small random changes over a long period of time to produce man. And people actually believe that with all their heart and with all their soul, they believe that. That's the foundation that they use for just saying God does not exist. It reminds me of when I was, um, when I was at UCSD in 1971, I was in the third graduating class, the school started in 1969. And there was just a small handful of believers of Christ uh, on campus we were. We were not large enough to have any campus crusade for Christ or university Christian fellowship or navigators. And we decided, in a little tiny group that we were, that we would do something outrageous, which is we were gonna organize the first uh, creation evolution debate on campus, which was the last one also. <laughs> it, was the, it was the first one and it was the last one. On the creation side was Dr. Dwayne Gish, and on the evolution side was, was my professor, Dr. Murray Goodman. He was a professor of biochemistry. I was a biochemistry major, and, and uh, Dr. Goodman had a big impact on my life. I respected him greatly. And Dr. Gish, uh, at the debate, presented his bombardier beetle example as evidence of irreducible complexity, that you couldn't have these parts evolve unless they all came together at one time. And, and um, 
they couldn't come about piece by piece. And Dr. Goodman presented the evidence of the similarities between species and one species had to come from another, as he said. And so the argument went on back and forth, the debate, and, and at one point, Dr. Goodman uh, made a statement that just crystallized the whole issue for me when he said, he turned to Dr. Gish, he said, Dr. Gish, he says, it's not that my theory of evolution is more plausible than your theory of creation. It's just, I cannot accept the alternative. And when he said that, it was eureka, that was the light. What Dr. Goodman was saying was, the problem with the theory of creation is that it, you have to accept that there was a creator. That's the problem. And what he was saying is that, I cannot accept the existence of God. That's what he was saying. Tom Cantor's messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. For other free resources, email us at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. Join our live services on YouTube by searching Friendship with God with Tom Cantor every Sunday at 5.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.